We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today is primarily with Jay Gruden. Jay Gruden coming up in the next segment. We'll talk a lot about this year's team, uh, Sam Howell, Eric Bieniemy, the defense. I'm sure with Jay, the conversation will turn to his time here. Uh, and then I'll ask Jay um, about thoughts uh, as we near the end of Dan Snyder's reign in Washington. Remember, Jay lasted longer than anybody with Dan Snyder. Five full seasons as the head coach and five games of a sixth season. Shanahan made it four years, if you want to call it four years. 2013 was a disaster. Gibbs was here for four years. Rivera's been here for three, but he won't be here for five or longer with Dan Snyder as the owner. So Jay Gruden uh, coming up. Uh, We have a new sponsor on the show today, and I want to tell you about the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Pools. Now, the Circa, if you don't know, is one of the most impressive resort, casino, and sports books in Las Vegas. That's where Tim Murray works. He does that radio show with Sean King, the former Buccaneers quarterback. That's where the producer of this podcast, Aaron Oster, uh, works at the Circa. Um, And the Circa has their Circa Million every year, and they've got the Circa Survivor Pool. And I want to tell you about both. The Circa Million is in the fifth year uh, with over $6 million in guaranteed prizes. All right, the way it works, it's a $1,000 entry for the season. You pick five games every week, all right, and the winner at the end of the season with the best overall record wins a million bucks. But there are another $5 million plus in prizes. There are quarterly, season-long, you know, prizes that are offered. The the person that ends up with the worst overall record will take home a hundred grand. That's hard to do too. Remember, it's hard to win. It's also hard to it's hard to pick winners. It's also hard to pick losers. They're basically the same uh, in terms of the odds. Um, but you pick five games every week. It's a thousand dollar season entry for the circa million, a million dollars to the winner, but another five million plus in guaranteed prizes. Now you do have to be at the circa to sign up 
for this. So this is for people who have a trip planned to Vegas or maybe a reason for you to plan a trip to Vegas. You have to sign up in Vegas at any of the Circa properties, and then you can make your picks from everywhere. You actually do it through a proxy. Um, but uh, for those of you that listen, and we have listeners in Nevada, uh, you can do it easily. But this is a contest that I uh, am going to uh, enter uh, this year, uh, the Circa Million. And then there's the Circa Survivor Pool with $8 million guaranteed to the winner or winners. Last year, the Circa Survivor Pool um, was split uh, between two people. Two people split $6 million plus. Most of you, most of you know how a survivor pool uh, works. You pick one team straight up, no point spread every week to win. Um, if that team loses, you're eliminated. Uh, and you can only pick one, uh, each team one time a season. Uh, so the last person standing... Uh, and sometimes it's more than one person standing, will split a guaranteed pot of $8 million. That's also $1,000 per entry, um, and you've got up to a maximum of 10 entries per person. That is a big survivor pool. The circuit doing it right uh, every football season. Uh, for more information, uh, you can just go to circusports.com. Uh, All right, I want to start the show with this. Tommy and I uh, talked yesterday about the ESPN defensive tackles list, where they've got coaches, general managers, scouts voting on the top 10 at each position. And the defensive tackle top 10 came out over the weekend, and I thought I would see John Allen in the top 10. I was hoping to see Deron Payne. Um, The result was both of them were in the top 10, but Deron Payne finished ahead of John Allen. Deron Payne was the number eight defensive tackle in the NFL, and John Allen was the number 10 defensive tackle in the NFL. And that surprised me. Not that I didn't think it was justified or reasonable, but I just think that the perception is that John Allen is the better player. Um, but the people in the league, uh, coaches, general managers, scouts, not just writers on a website or a blog, they picked Deron Payne as the better defensive tackle. And in fact, somebody picked Deron Payne as the second best defensive tackle in the league. That was the highest ranking any of the 80 scouts, general managers, um, coaches gave um, Deron Payne. Somebody ranked him as the second best in the game. John Allen, um, the the highest ranking he got was fourth. Still pretty good. But both of them in the top ten. Washington's the only team with two defensive tackles in the top ten. The Giants have uh, Dexter Lawrence and then have Leonard Williams on the list of others receiving votes. But I think you can pretty much make the case that Washington's pair of defensive tackles is the best pair of defensive tackles in the NFL I mean, there are others, Tart and Simmons in Tennessee, and certainly, you know, Fletcher Cox and Jalen Carter have a chance in Philadelphia or J- Jordan Davis, you know, eventually. There are, there are teams with really good D-tackle combinations, but you certainly you know, are not wrong if you say Washington's, you know, one-two punch of Duran and John is the best in the league. But again, I think that the surprise was that Duran was higher, not for me. Um, It was a surprise to me, don't get me wrong, but I don't have a problem with it. But I think a lot of fans of the team 
are surprised by that. Uh, and I put out a poll this morning on the radio show. We, had, we took calls on it as well, and I'm going to give you the updated results of the poll. I tweeted out at Kevin Sheehan, D.C., if you could only pick one, John Allen, Deron Payne, 79.1% so far say John Allen, 20.9% say Deron Payne. That's with 1,100 votes in so far as the recording of this podcast. I mean, 80-20 basically, almost, 79-21 to be exact, Um, or rounding down on the 79.1 and rounding up on the 20.9. That's surprising to me. It's not surprising that fans think John Allen is the better player or a combination of a better player, more consistent player, and the better leader. Although Deron Payne is a good locker room guy. John Allen is one of the leaders of this team. Um, I would take Deron Payne. I just think Deron Payne's explosive upside, his ability at some point to just completely dominate the game from that position exists. And I don't think John Allen's upside does. I think John Allen's really good. And this is a hard choice, don't get me wrong. But I think if Deron Payne realizes his best you know, potential, um, he's a top three D tackle in the game. And John Allen at his best, which we've seen him at his best, you know, is certainly a top 10 defensive tackle in the game. And by the way, there's more of a chance that John Allen will stay consistent and be top 10 through the rest of his career and maybe less of a chance that Deron Payne will reach that status that I just described of being like a top three guy in the league. But Payne's you know, ceiling is higher, in my opinion, than Allen's. And I think they're both great teammates. And I, I know the feeling about Deron Payne's contract year and, you know, him talking a little bit about, you know, the bag and, you know, doing what he could in the contract year. But I, I kind of trust the team on this one. You know, the, the first player that Jack Del Rio fell in love with when they got the job was Payne. He was the guy that wowed him. And they wowed, you know, he wowed them this year. Remember, one year ago, the odds that Deron Payne and John Allen were going to both be on the team were not very good. They were less than 50 50. You know, John Allen was signed, but we just figured Deron Payne's playing out this fifth year, you know, option year. And like if he blows up into this great player that I thought he could be and had hoped he had w- was on the verge of becoming, and he wasn't, you know, super consistent through those first few uh, four years. But I was hopeful that he would show, show that. And then they'd have to use the franchise tag. Um, and they did. And then they obviously got him signed. But a, a year ago, he wasn't a given. In fact, he was. It was less than 50-50 that, that Payne was going to be um, a, uh, a a side-by-side guy with John Allen on this uh, team moving forward. I'm glad they signed him. I think this is the strength of the football team. I think this is the hope of the football team. But, man, I was surprised, definitely surprised, that, you know, 79.1% to 20.9%, like overwhelming. And, I, I think there's some of it's about the leadership, and I was reading through a lot of the Twitter responses. You know, um, Allen's a team leader. That transcends on-field production. That was from District Sports Talk. Uh, you know, our friend Ian, leadership matters. Payne's made one Pro Bowl, and it was during his contract year. Allen's a 10 out of a 10. 
Um, Tim on Twitter said, Allen, because of his leadership and approach, not a jab at Payne, who seems to be a great dude who goes about his business as well. Uh, on the field, it's a coin toss. Happy we have both. Um, nothing more disruptive than pressure up the middle. You know, and with respect to that, this was part of what I don't think I read yesterday in the write-up on Deron Payne when they had him ranked eighth. Payne's 21 and a half disrupted dropbacks. I didn't know that that was a stat, but if it's a made-up ESPN stat, disrupted dropback is a combination stat, is a combination of sacks, interceptions, batted, tipped, and defended passes. Deron Payne had 21 and a half of those. Now, we know he had 11 and a half sacks, so that means he had another 10 combined batted, tipped, defended passes because I don't think he had an interception last year. Did Deron Payne have an interception last year? The team didn't have many interceptions last year. Um, Interceptions last year. Yeah, John Allen had one, remember, in the Chicago game. Deron Payne did not have um, uh, an interception last year. But anyway, the point being that uh, 21 and a half was second among all defensive tackles in the game. Chris Jones was the leader with 23 of those combined plays. But he had the uh, he had the tipped ball in the Atlanta game that saved the Atlanta game at the end when Mariota and the Falcons were going in for the game-winning score down 19-13 to at the end of the game. It was Payne who disrupted that easy, what would have been an easy touchdown pass. Um, but th- this is why I like Duran, because Duran really impacts a game with those kinds of plays. And uh, I'm going to ask Jay Gruden about that. I bet Gruden, remember, was the coach when both of these players were drafted. You know, when they needed defense, by the way, because they were so good offensively in 2016 and 2015 and so horrific defensively. And they started to emphasize, you know, we're going to take defensive players. And they went out, you know, this was when they were in love with taking Alabama players, but they got two good ones in Allen and Payne in back-to-back years in 2017 and 2018. So I'll ask Jay Gruden the question that I asked callers and asked on Twitter, Payne or Allen? Um, my guess is he'll probably say Allen because they loved John Allen. I look, I know they loved Deron Payne before that draft. I know they did. Um, but we will ask Jay that coming up. Uh, speaking of coming up, um, coming up is the NFL season and you can bet game by game at my bookie, go to mybookie.ag or mybookie.com. Use my promo code, Kevin DC. Right now, Washington is only a five-and-a-half-point favorite over Arizona at my bookie. They have been a six-point favorite. At one point, I think they were six-and-a-half. It's down to five-and-a-half. That's probably an indication of some sharp money maybe on Arizona. Uh, it's early. It's only July 11th. Uh, but go to mybookie.com or mybookie.ag. Use my promo code, Kevin DC. And you can secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. You just have to use my promo code, Kevin DC. Jay Gruden, next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jay Gruden uh, is my guest, of course, the former head coach of the Washington Redskins, uh, Jay was. And, uh, you know, Jay and I were just talking before we started to record. Um, and, you know, you're looking for something to do right now. Uh, you had the gig with the Rams last year. And, I mean, why – I said this to you before we started to record, but you should be doing NFL media. There are so many former coaches and players that aren't nearly as – astute, but more importantly, entertaining than you. So why aren't you doing that? I have no idea. Maybe I need you as my agent. I need somebody to get out there and, you know, call the right people, get in front of the right guys and, and uh, try that route. But uh, I don't know. I just haven't got an opportunity. No, I'm, I'm making a note of that right now, and I'm being serious. Um, I, can't, I, I can't represent you. I, I wouldn't do that, but I can certainly – make a call to one or two places. But I think I did that once before. I don't know. I, Jay Gruden should be doing NFL uh, analyst um, work at the NFL Network or ESPN or doing games. Uh, there are just a lot of guys out there that are not as good or not as entertaining and quick-witted and, and fun um, as Jay Gruden uh, would be. But that's uh, that's from this season. Well, thank you. Who knows? That's uh, quite the compliment. Thank um, you. What, so... What do you think Sam Howell's going to do this year? Yeah, that's a, that's a question everybody has to find out. That's uh, going to be an important you know, part of Ron Rivera's tenure moving forward, right? I mean, he's got to play well. I think they got to show significant improvement. Um, they have a very good defense coming back. Um, they had a good receiving core. Um, they have good backs, without a doubt. They got Logan Thomas, a decent tight end. Um, offensive line should be improved a little bit. Um, so it's going to be up to Sam and how he does and, and the success of their football team moving forward. I mean, there's no secret in the NFL. The key to success is a good quarterback. Uh, all the teams that are favored to win the NFL or win the Super Bowl have the best quarterbacks. Um, and Sam Howell's got to perform. I like the fact that he's athletic. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of unknowns out there with his accuracy. Um, he showed some uh, toughness in the Dallas game, the only game that he played. He showed some accuracy, some anticipation. But uh, to do that over the course of 17 games uh, is yet to be seen. But I think you got to love his upside and you love his talent. I mean, do you have a gut feel? for? Uh, have you watched any of his college tape? Have you watched – I mean, you watched the Dallas game, but, I mean, that was kind of a meaningless end-of-season game. I mean, do you have a gut feel on whether or not he is going to be the guy and, and end up, you know, being one of those guys that come out of nowhere, fifth-round pick, and end up being a, a legitimate NFL starter? It's just odd to me that he was projected to be a first-round pick, top-ten pick there for a while, and then all of a sudden he dropped down to the fifth round for some reason, which I don't know why. I think uh, 
his offensive line. He lost a lot of players his last year uh, at North Carolina. Uh, his offensive line wasn't that good. He was getting hit a lot, um, which could be the case at Washington. But um, that was that's my biggest concern is why did he drop from such a high, highly talented kid at North Carolina from a first-round projected pick to the fifth round? Um, obviously, he didn't have a great uh, last year at North Carolina, but the talent's there, and uh, there's no questioning that, that he can run and he can rip the ball uh, and throw a lot of different types of balls, touch balls, deep balls. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. There's something – Missing, that's why he dropped to the fifth round. But there's been a few other quarterbacks that have been drafted in the fourth and fifth round have had success. Yeah, but very few. And I, I've talked a lot about yeah. this. And, and you know, you, you have a, a, a portion of the fan base that just wants everybody mm-hmm. to stand down when you're, you even question, you know, why Sam Howell uh, dropped to the fifth round. It's the same group of people that thought Carson Wentz was an absolute steal, you know, this time last year. And I, I had uh, Scott McLuhan um, on the show, I don't know, a month and a half ago, something like that. And I said, you know, there's been a lot of discussion, especially from the team. You know, they've tried to prop up this Sam Howell as the QB1 by saying we had a first, second round grade on him. I mean, there's no reason why he should have dropped to the fifth round. Well, then why didn't you take him earlier? Like, they had opportunities in the fourth round. They traded down in the fourth round to get to the fifth round pick. Um, they could have lost him there. And I guess, and I asked Scott, and I'm going to ask you the same thing. Quarterbacks, that position, they don't just drop because statistically the last year was like an off year. I mean, Josh Allen statistically fell off. Quarterbacks are evaluated based on what they're going to do at the NFL level, not on college stats. Right or wrong? Yeah, a lot of that's true. There's no doubt about it. Um, you, you you can gauge a lot about a quarterback, especially if they have a lot of games under their belt. I mean, it's not like Sam only played one year. He played you know a few years in North Carolina, so he had a lot of game tape for people to evaluate him, not just his combine, not just his pro day, um, but he had some game tape. And that's the concerning part of it. You know, if he had that many games uh, on tape, why did he drop to the fifth round? But, you know, People make mistakes, and uh, who knows? Maybe he's a gamer, and, and he'll light it up. But there are some concerns. I would be just a little bit reluctant to say that, oh, he's the future of the franchise. Uh, but he does have a talent to deserve an opportunity to see where he can take it. I read that you um, said, uh, and I'm going to read the quote here, you said that Sam Hal is Ron Rivera's meal ticket this year. Explain. Yeah, I think that if he shows progress and um, shows that he could be the future of this franchise, then yes, I think that Ron can ride Sam's coattails uh, to the future of this organization. Now, if Sam fails miserably and they have to turn to Jacoby Brissett and they go 7-10 and 10 or 6-11 and 11 or what have you, then I think it'll be trouble for Ron, uh, without a doubt. Um, the uncertainty at the quarterback position usually means coaches get fired and new coaches get hired to try to turn a franchise around. Obviously, that's what happened to me when we lost Alex Smith. We went to, obviously, all the quarterbacks we went to, and I couldn't, you know, muster up enough wins. I get fired. And it all relies on the quarterback's success. And if Sam has success this year, then I think that'll buy Ron some time and, and they could have a pretty good future. You know, what you just described is exactly how some of us described your situation heading into 2019. And that was 
maybe your meal ticket to more than just 2019 is developing a young quarterback in Dwayne Haskins. And that's kind of what you just described with respect to Ron Rivera and Sam Howell. Why didn't you view Dwayne Haskins that way? Well, he, he just wasn't ready. You know, Sam was, or, uh, Dwayne was a project. And we knew that. And, uh, and that's why I was reluctant to take him in the first round because I didn't have time to uh, develop a project. I had one year. I was one and done. I, I knew it uh, going into that year. They didn't uh, renew my assistant coach's contracts, and uh, and, and I, I knew it. Um, so um, it's very difficult to develop a quarterback when you don't have any time to develop them. So um, Sam has to be ready to play. Sam is a little bit more athletic. There are certain things you could do more with Sam than you can do it. Dwayne is more of a pocket passer. Pocket passers need time to see the concepts. They need time to see the defenses, the protections, make the audibles uh, necessary to be successful. And that takes time. It took Peyton Manning time. It took Drew Brees time. It takes a lot of the great quarterbacks time to develop to be a true drop-back passer. Now, when you're an athlete, there are more things you can do with the RPOs and the zone reads and things like that to be successful at the quarterback position. Um, We just didn't have that time with uh, Dwayne, unfortunately. I mean, I understand, I think most do, understand the difference between a guy like Sam Howell and Dwayne Haskins in terms of mobility. But wasn't Dwayne's athleticism maybe a little bit underrated? Um, maybe a little bit. He, I don't think anybody would say that he's a great athlete. Um, um, you know, he, he doesn't run very fast, and he's just a big guy. I mean, he's a big guy. He's more of a pocket, rip it, let it rip type quarterback. Um, he needed to work on, his, uh, obviously, his anticipation, a little bit of his accuracy. Uh, to be a true drop-back quarterback in the NFL. But he, he could run a little bit. I mean, it wasn't like he was a sitting duck back there, but he's not like a Sam Howell or, a, you know, a, a, some of these other quarterbacks that are athletic, a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or uh, Lamar Jackson. You can't put him in that category. So, like, as you look at Sam Howell, and what what if he is a project? Which, by the way, I think you could describe him that very fairly right now. It's a project. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to fail. I mean, that doesn't have to be sort of a negative description heading in. It could be a project that turns out to be an A-plus down the road. But what if it's a, you know, kind of a slow to medium developing project? You know, there are lots of ups and downs, which I think you would expect with a young quarterback in his first year of starting. Can Ron Rivera survive that? I think it just depends on the new owner and and what route he wants to take and how the team has responded. Are they competing every game? Are they losing games 30 to 3? Are they losing games 26 to 25 or what have you. They're competing in every game. Well, they're showing a lot of competitiveness, which a lot of the guys on this team will compete. The Montez West, the Drum Payne, Jonathan Allen. Uh, these guys will compete. Terry McLaurin, Jahar Doxson. These guys are going to compete their ass off. So they show great competitive toughness. Uh, they might lose some close games because of the up and down play of Sam Howell. But I think Ron will get another shot. But, you know, if they start getting blown out like we did the last couple games against New England and against the Giants, uh, then you probably have to make a change at the coaching position. Um, do you have any thoughts on Jacoby Brissett? I've always liked Jacoby. He's a tough kid. I think he's like one of the top premier backups you can have. He's a great guy, you know, very similar to the way we view like uh, um, some of the guys that we have over the course of time uh, on our team. You know, the Colt McCoy's quality backups that can be a starter and get you through some games. Um, and, yes, I don't know if you want Jacoby to be your full-time starter. Can he win you Super Bowls? I'm not sure about that. But he can win you games and get you out of some pinches and, and be a great leader for your football team. As long as you're playing great defense 
and you're able to run the ball, guys like Jacoby Brissett can have a lot of success. And maybe they do turn to him as Sam Howell uh, turns the ball over a lot. Uh, he can win you games uh, as long as that defense is playing the top-notch level that they should play. What do you think of Eric Bieniemy? I don't think I've had you on since they hired him. Maybe I did. I can't remember. But what are your thoughts about Bieniemy? Well, anytime you're in a building with uh, Andy Reid, then you're going to learn a lot. And obviously he's been at the right place with the right guy, uh, with the right system. So if he can bring that type of system to uh, Washington, he'll have a lot of success. They spread the ball around. They use their tight end extremely well. Obviously they had a, a Hall of Fame tight end. I, I don't know if Washington has that, but um, they run the ball effectively. They do a lot of different things formationally. Uh, they get people open. Um, so if he can bring that to Washington, whether or not he called plays, I do not know that. Um, I think Andy Reid was the premier play caller. I think everybody can agree with that. But still being on that staff warrants him an opportunity to come to another team and, and run the show. Um, so, yeah, I think he obviously has a great um, background and should have some success with calling plays here. Um, not only a Hall of Fame tight end, but a Hall of Fame quarterback, you know, already. Oh, Hall yeah. of Fame quarterback. Oh, I failed, I failed, <laughs> to, mention, I yeah, failed that... to mention that, that there's about 30 plays a game that Patrick Mahomes makes on his own that aren't scripted in the playbook. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that makes a big difference. What makes a good play caller? I think, first of all, you got to utilize the people that you have. That's the most important thing. And, and they utilize their star power. You know, Travis Kelsey, you know that he's going to get the ball. And they're going to line him up in different spots to get him the ball. And that's the most important thing is utilize your best player. So it, it, here they got to utilize Terry McLaurin, obviously. Um, they got to get their running game involved to protect the quarterback, a young quarterback, um, and take their shots accordingly. Um, utilize uh, personnel groupings, uh, formations, uh, motions, um, and then do some things occasionally that nobody's ever seen. You know, you can't do the same thing over and over again. People say, hey, you're not going to get good unless you do the same thing. you got to be diverse in what you do, uh, formationally and, and, and play calling and, and red zone, unique formations. And there's always a player, too, in a game of Kansas City, if you watch their games, there's going to be a formation or a play that you've never seen before. You know, maybe it's a, a little bringing a big drawn paint, a fullback, and throwing the ball in the flat or something crazy or uh, they always do something crazy like that to try to give their offense an edge. But for the most part, it's utilizing their weapons, uh, being um, being off balance uh, as far as you know, the defense can't never really get set. You know, they're in uh, 11 personnel, 12 personnel, 21 personnel. They're in bunches. They're in stacks. They're in eye formation. You just, it's just hard to get a gauge uh, for a defensive coordinator to get comfortable when you're utilizing so many different weapons and formations and personnel groups. Um, what, what, what's your true preference? You were a head coach, you were an offensive coordinator and you were an offensive head coach. If the pay were the same, which job would you prefer to do? Like starting tomorrow? Offense coordinator for sure. Why? That's what I love. Uh, well, I, I, I love that. I like offense coordinator, but I also love the personnel part of it. I love, uh, the draft. I love free agency. I love studying players because at the end of the day, it's the player's game and you have to have good players to be successful, especially at the quarterback position, but everywhere. You got to have a good line of scrimmage. You got to have some speed at wide out. You got to have a pass rush. You got to have some run stoppers. You got some corners that can play man to man. So you got to find players and you're not going to have uh, first ballot pro bowlers at every position. You got to coach these guys up and you got to find the right guys to fit what you want to do. 
Um, but play calling is what I like to do best. I like going after defenses, going after quarters, man and two man, and uh, all the different things and zone blitzes and uh, picking them up from a protection standpoint. It's a it's a great chess game and it's a lot of fun. Is there a stretch of games or maybe a specific game, whether it was in Cincinnati uh, as the OC or in Washington as the head coach, where you just felt like you were, you know, unstoppable as a play caller, that you had, you know, the defenses and the defensive coordinators scratching their heads completely off balance, you were in rhythm, and you were in total command? Are there games or a game that, that sticks out? I think my first vision of that was, uh, or first uh, recollection would be Cincinnati in 2013 when we had Eifert and Jermaine Gresham and Andy was playing high level, A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, Hawkins. Uh, we were, we were uh, Giovanni Bernard, we were pretty good. We beat the crap out of a lot of teams. I mean, we were scoring 35, 40 points uh, easy. We beat the Jets. We scored 40 on the Jets. We scored 40 on the Vikings. We scored 40 on the Giants, I think, or 35 or whatever. We were pretty unstoppable. And then when I got here, I think our best when, – when Jordan Reed was healthy and Vernon Davis and we had Pierre and, and Deshaun and Jameson Crowder, we were pretty darn good. We could hit you a lot of different ways. We could beat you in the running game. We could beat you with a tight end play. Uh, we had speed down the field with Deshaun. We had toughness at wide receiver with Pierre. Uh, we, were, we were pretty pretty good then too. Um, wasn't it the 2013 playoff loss at home uh, to the Chargers that Wade Phillips – kind of suggested at some point in the media that he knew what was coming. I forget the, the specifics of that. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, we lost the, He wasn't with the Chargers. Wade was with, uh, Wade was with the Texans. We lost the Texans. No, the Texans. That the was it. That was it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 11, 11 they, didn't, they could have done whatever. They, the J, they had one of the best defenses we've ever played. I mean, J.J. Watt was unstoppable. It was hard right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's to get right. anything off with him. And then in 12, we had a chance to uh, beat him. We we ran an out and up on the sideline at the end of the game, and Andy just missed AJ for a touchdown, a go-ahead touchdown. And then the Chargers of last year, uh, we lost Eifert the game before against uh, Baltimore. Baltimore was defending champions. We had to play them week 16 or week 17, the last game of the year. They had to win to get in, and it was a bloodbath. And we lost uh, two or three key offensive players in that game, which hurt us a lot. Um, and then we fumbled at the at the one-yard line. Geo fumbled going in at halftime, and uh, and then. The Chargers ran the ball effectively and kept us off the field pretty much for the game. By the way, those Texans teams with Bill O'Brien as the head coach and the quarterbacks that they had, guys like TJ Yates and you know other guys, I've always used them as the one example, Jay, of a team over the last 10 to 15 years that was dominant defensively but did not have a quarterback and yet consistently qualified for the postseason. Now, they didn't have a chance to win a Super Bowl because they didn't have a quarterback. But, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you, and it's probably the perfect segue, is knowing that Washington's defense coming into this season – you know, has a chance. They were, by most metrics, a top 10 defense last year. There's no reason to think that it won't be as good this year. If it is as good, but on offense, your quarterback isn't good enough, what's the best you can hope for? Like, how many games can you actually win with just a great defense, but a very average to subpar offense? You can win a lot. Really, I mean, we won nine. We were nine and seven in Cincinnati my first year with uh, rookie Indy quarterback, rookie AJ Green, rookie everywhere. And then we went ten and six. Then we went eleven and five. Um, so you can win a lot of games um, if you play good defense. Mike Zimmer is our defensive coordinator. We had 
five or six first rounders on defense playing a uh, very good pass rush, great secondary, a great blitz package. Um, and you can, as a play caller, you can ride your defense. I mean, you don't have to get first. If it's third and 10, you don't have to get 10 yards. You can maybe throw a screen pass or try a draw and try to get it in there and then punt and back them up and get the ball right back. You know, you're going to get it back when you don't have a good defense and a young quarterback. Then you're forced to try to get those first downs. You put your quarterback in harm's way. You're going to get him hit a lot. Uh, it's a lot more difficult as a play caller. Um, so you can still win a lot of games without a doubt. Knowing that as a play caller, uh, you don't have to take as many risks. You can uh, be a little bit more conservative, yet passively aggressive, and still win a lot of games, 20-17. to 17. Uh, You can get 20 points easy as a play caller with the talent they have on offense. And if your defense is playing good, you can win a lot. You can go to playoffs. You can win Super Bowls with a uh, you know, subpar quarterback. It's been done. It hasn't been done often, but it's been done. But, you know, as I think about your Cincinnati teams, and you're making the case that those Cincinnati teams – are, are the same as what I described with Houston or what I may be describing with Washington this year. But you had, you know, Dalton wasn't subpar those years. I mean, he may have been an average quarterback, but you had really good weapons. You already described that uh, uh, around them. I'm talking about the quarterback situation and the offensive situation that Houston had, where you literally didn't have anywhere near good enough at quarterback. But they were dominant yeah, defensively. I mean- they, they, they were dominant defensively, and they could run the ball. They played great time of possession. I don't know what their time of possession was, but I know against against us uh, in the first playoff game, they we, we had the ball for like 12 plays in the first half. I mean, they just ran the ball, ran the ball, completed short passes and up and down the field, um, and they just kept us off the field, and their defense stayed fresh. And when their defense came out, they were rushing the passer. They were hitting. I mean, they, they were all over the place. They had different formations. They lined J.J. Watt up at nose. They lined him up at three technique. They lined him up at defensive end. Could never get a gauge on where he was. And he was batting balls down and hitting the quarterback in the face. I mean, it was a nightmare. <laughs> and they had a good secondary. Uh, but they did a great job on offense. They didn't They didn't put up great numbers, but they the time of possession that they had was outstanding with the running game. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I, I, I've thought about teams like Denver in recent years that have been dominant defensively but haven't had the quarterback. Um, the Jets have been really good defensively. Buffalo, before they got Josh Allen, they were very good defensively. And they, you know, they, they were 5-11, and 6-10, and 7-9 type of teams. Like, I, as I think of Washington with the defense that I think could be top 10 again, maybe better, if they had an Andy Dalton-like quarterback in Sam Howell, or even better, a Kirk Cousins type of quarterback in Sam Howell, they'd be a playoff team, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. There's no question about it. You know, I mean, you look at some of the best defenses of all time with uh, the Buccaneers, and my brother was a coach. Yeah. You know, we did good enough on offense with Brad Johnson and Keyshawn and, and Keenan McCardell. We had some good weapons with Michael Pittman and guys like that, but... And then, the, obviously, the Ravens with uh, Trent Dilfer. I mean, they were the best defense probably in the history of football with that Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and all those guys. And Nada, and, I mean, oh, my God. I mean, it's, you couldn't do anything against those guys. Um, I don't know if you can put Washington's defense in those no. categories right now, right. Uh, obviously. But um, you can win a lot of games with a guy like Dilfer or Brad Johnson if your defense is playing good. And same, you know, Houston did it. We did it. And, and uh, you know. But who knows how Sam Howell is going to be? Maybe he's going to be better than a lot of those guys. Right. Maybe not. Yeah, I think it's one of those interesting conversations, you know, um, about today's NFL um, because you know you're going back to. 2000, 2001, 2002, you know, which was, is really like the 49ers have had a dominant defense, 
here recently. They got to a Super Bowl, and they were within a whisker of getting to another one when they lost the NFC Championship game to the Rams. And look, they played five quarterbacks or whatever they played against the Eagles. So they've gotten close, but they haven't won it with you know subpar or very, very average quarterback play. I'm just wondering, and I think that's a conversation many of us have as fans in this day and age of the NFL, can you actually win it all the way Baltimore did, the way Tampa did? I mean, look, Brad Johnson was better than Dilfer, right? You would agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, so Baltimore is really the last example we have of a team with really not very much on offense or a quarterback that won it all. And that's one of the great defenses of all time. I just don't know if, well, I'll ask you, do you think that can be done again in today's league, the way it's played and the way it's officiated and, you know, it's et cetera? Yeah, I do. I do. I think great defenses will provide you an opportunity to win every game that you play. Great quarterback play and great defenses will give you a chance to win every game. You know, if you really go back and look at the Giants two Super Bowls, it's not like Eli Manning lit it up or it was like a, a you know, like throwing for 5,000 yards or anything. Like they played unbelievable defense too. Um, so um, you got to be able to play good defense. Um, you got to be able to get after the quarterback, stop the run. And I think Washington has a chance to do that this year. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that against the Patriots in those two games, their pass rush was the difference-making um, part of that. Uh, although Eli had a couple of years, though, there, Jay, where he really, like, you know, there's going to be a conversation about Eli Manning in, in the Hall of Fame. Um, he had, you know, a 5,000-yard season, or close to it, you know, the year that they won uh, the Super Bowl the, the second time. Um, the second time. Yeah. Uh, he had some of those years where they were pretty good on offense, but, it, you know, against Brady, it was the interior, you know, Justin Tuck, et cetera, that really made the difference in those two Super Bowls. Yeah, Michael Strahan yeah. had a little bit to do with that. Yeah, too, yeah. a lot to do with it. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, you, you said uh, about um, the other thing that you like doing, and I know we've talked about this before, but – you know, McLuhan mentioned it to me again, uh, and I think it was unprompted, uh, if I recall, when he was on with us a month and a half ago. He has said multiple times um, that you are by far and away the best evalu- talent-evaluating head coach that he's ever worked with. And, and, in fact, he just said, Matt Ioannidis. We would not have had Matt Ioannidis if it weren't for Jay. Um, give me some names of players that you guys got that it was really you who pushed for? Well, I mean, all of them. I'd like to think most of them. I mean, I, you got to put in the work. You know, I think that a lot of times you just read, some people just read articles and see a few highlights here and there, but you got to put in the work and study these guys. I mean, um, to get a pure evaluation, it takes a lot of time. I mean, I can remember going in right after the season's over and we started on free agency, started on our own players and then going into free agency and watching all the possible free agents that we could get to help our football team. And then once free agency hit, we're done with that. Then it's right into the draft and the pro days and the senior bowl and the East-West Shrine game and studying all these guys' reps that they played, quarterbacks, receivers, tight ends, O-line, D-line, pass rushers, I mean, corners. I mean, it takes a lot of time because there's a lot of players to evaluate. Um, so yeah, Cole Holcomb was a guy that nobody had on our, we, we didn't have him on our board, um, as far as draftable. And I, you know, I was watching North Carolina play. We had a couple guys to watch and this guy had a hundred tackles three years in a row. I was like, why is this guy not on our board? He didn't get invited to the combine. And when I saw those pro day ran four, four, nine, 
I go, we got to draft this guy. They're all laughing at me. There's no way we can draft this guy. He's not draftable. I go, shit. So we, we ended up drafting him, and, and he had a pretty good season. Starting linebacker in the NFL, which uh pretty impressive. But there's a lot of guys like that that uh, we kind of got late um, that really helped our football team. And um, I, I'm proud of that because of the work that I put in. And, and obviously our scouts had a lot to do with it. you got to do the background check and the interviews at the Combine. And I uh, love getting to know the players at the Combine and, and watching them play and, and doing evaluation. I've been wrong on some guys. I've been right on a lot of guys. Payne's another guy I, I went to bat for. We were going to draft a couple other guys. But Payne, Payne was one of my all-time favorites. I, mean, I, I love drawing Payne. Obviously, Jonathan Allen was an easy pick. Um, actually, Reuben Foster was a thought at that first-round pick. If we thought Jonathan Allen was going to go. I loved Reuben. I was probably wrong on Reuben, but he had a lot of injuries, and I still think he would have been a good player if, if it wasn't for his injuries. But um, Jonathan was an easy one. Uh, Terry McLaurin in the third round was uh, just a dream pick for us. Uh, he fell right to us, which was just crossing our fingers and hoping to goodness that he'd fall to us, and he did. Um but yeah, I mean it's a it's a great process. It's fun uh, to see who you get and see how they perform after all the work that you put in studying them. What made you fall in love with Deron Payne? Well, I think the Georgia game and the playoff game. I, I've never seen a guy wreck a game as much as he did, rushing the pass or stopping the run. Uh, he could penetrate gaps. He could play two gap. He could take on double teams. I mean, he 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 could do it all. I mean, he had strength. He had power. He had stamina. Um, there wasn't really a weakness in his game that I could. Fine, you know, I was like, okay, maybe he's, is he lazy? No, he's not lazy. Uh, is he a terrible pass rusher? No, he got plenty of sacks. Uh, you know, uh, so there is not a weakness in that. Is he big? Is he young? Is he strong? Uh, does he work hard? Nick Saban loved him. Um, so yeah, it was. A, it, it, there's nothing not to like about him. Yeah, I remember specifically that draft and hearing how much all of you guys loved Payne. But, you know, a lot of the conversation I remember was about Vita Vea and also whether or not Derwin James would be there at 13. Do you remember what the evaluations on those two players were? Yeah, they, they had Vita Vea a lot higher than Jonathan, which I disagree with. Vita's a great player, don't get me wrong. Higher than Duran, you mean, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just thought Vita was like a two-gap player and a good run stopper. Um, I just thought, I thought Payne was more of an all-purpose type defensive lineman. You can line him up at nose, you can line him up at three, you can line him up at four eye. You could do a lot of different things with Duran. Whereas Vita Vea, in my opinion, was just a strictly a nose guard, two-gap type player. Now he can rush a passer a little bit better than probably I anticipated, but not like Duran, in my opinion. Um, and then Derwin James, he was a special player. Now he's big, strong, physical kid out of Florida State. Uh, we, I didn't think he was going to fall to us, and obviously he didn't. Well, he did fall to you. You guys, he was. Oh, on he the, did fall to us. He was yeah, available. Yeah, he uh, was on the board. Yeah, at, when you guys yeah. picked Duran, there was a lot of talk about Derwin. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, so yeah, I think we could have gone Derwin, but uh, we. I just I wanted to really build up our defensive line. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer in stopping the run and rushing the passer, and I just thought. Uh, Deron Payne fit that build a little bit more. It could help us on the interior. When I first got the job at Washington, we were old up front on the defensive line. Um, other than really, we had a Rackpo and Kerrigan. Uh, obviously, the Rackpo we lost after my first year, but we didn't have any pass rushers. Our interior pass rush was non-existent. Um, they built themselves for like a three-four two-gap team with no penetration. I wanted guys that could hit the gaps and get the quarterback. Whether it was because you're in so much nickel nowadays, four down defensive linemen, uh, you had to have people that get the, get to the quarterback. And I thought getting Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, and obviously still having Kerrigan, um, and then adding obviously Montez Sweat really uh, would help us in the long run. Safeties 
are a little bit easier to find, but not that easy. Derwin James still would have been a great pick, and I still would have think he would have flourished here, no doubt about it. I don't think we could have gone wrong with either one of those picks, but I just thought Duran was uh, more of an impactful player for us in a need position. You know, it's interesting, and we've, we've talked a lot about this in the last year or two. I mean, this is a really, really good defense, but basically, you know, it was the regime before that is responsible for Payne, Allen, and Sweat as well. Um, you liked Sweat, right? I mean, this is the, this is the guy that you guys considered if Dan hadn't gotten involved taking, you know, at 15 overall instead of Dwayne. Yeah, Sweat or Savage, really. Savage was another right, guy. Savage you know, from Maryland. Another, yeah. A speed guy that could play nickel and play uh, safety, um, free safety, strong safety, and nickel. We thought his versatility was, was pretty good. He could run and he could hit. He was physical. He's, he's had a pretty good career at Green Bay. Um, but sweat, but sweat, um, his ability to run, I think the way the NFL was going with speed at quarterback, you know, the Lamar Jacksons, he had to have people that could run. That's why we wanted sweat. He ran four, four as a combine for God's sakes. Uh, so, um, to have a guy that could rush a pass or run and pick up some of these zone reads and, and run quarterbacks down when they get outside the pocket, these Mahomes, you see what Mahomes and Josh Allen and these quarterbacks do outside the pocket on unscripted plays. You gotta have guys that can run and go get them. And Sweat could do that. Um, on Duran and John uh, in particular, so ESPN's got coaches, scouts, GMs uh, that, you know, on the condition of anonymity every year, rank the top ten at each position. And they came out with the defensive tackle list the other day, and Duran was higher than John. Duran was the eighth best defensive tackle in the game. John was the tenth. If you had a choice and you could only pick one, Payne or Allen, who are you taking? Well, I love them both without a doubt, but I still think uh, I'd probably take Duran. I think he's uh, just a little bit more versatile in what he can do as far as stopping the run and rushing the pass. I mean, they're both great. I mean, that's a tough call. I love them both, really. Um, but I'd probably still lean towards Duran. If I had a gun to my head, I'd probably take Duran. But I would not be upset in one regard if we had to take Jonathan instead. Yeah, I, I Duran, like you just described to me, like he's always been the 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 one athletically, um, and in terms of being able to potentially just wreck a game, as you described, he's the one that has that ability. But John is steady Eddie. Like you, you you're never going to go wrong. He's a great player, and he's been more consistent than Duran. Although last year we saw Duran finally, you know, generate week to week consistency, which is why he got paid. Um, yeah. So, uh, real quickly. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think a lot of times Duran gets put in a nose tackle, uh, you know, position where you know he's forced to take a lot of the double teams. He doesn't have that freedom to rush the passer as much. When he does get that freedom, you you can see that he. he I think what he had nine or ten sacks last year. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, once he gets freed up and can rush, so if he didn't have Jonathan there, you moved him to more of a pass rush type three technique type. Now he's no. Aaron Donald, don't get me wrong, but he can muster the pass rush and he can play the run uh, probably better than Aaron Donald, but he obviously can't rush the passer. But he, he's up there with – he obviously was ranked eighth overall, and I think he probably should be like fourth or fifth in my opinion. Yeah, uh, 11 and a half sacks um, last year. Uh, real quickly, one more on the draft because I actually don't think I've ever talked to you about this. Maybe I have. I, I, I don't have um, the memory of all of our conversations. But what happened with Josh Doxson in 2016? Oh, yeah, that, that was a tough one. You know, we uh, 
really had high hopes on getting the center out of Ryan, Alabama. Ryan Kelly. Yeah. Ryan Kelly. Yeah, that that was that was the whole intent of that draft. We're going to get him, and and uh, the backup plan for uh, if he was not available was not really good enough. Uh, in my opinion, and when he got taken by the Colts, I can remember Scott hitting the desk with his fist, almost broke his hand. Yeah. Um, and then we then we went, and it was really not a very good receiver draft, but we needed a wideout um, badly. I think uh, the kid from Notre Dame, Fuller, was there. Um, he might have got taken right before us. Well, you, you guys traded uh, with Houston. You moved down a spot. They took Fuller. You took Doxson. Uh, and and then I think yeah. and, and then I think the kid from and really Ole Miss. the only other players available for us to take were Jaron Reed from uh, Alabama, Ashawn Robinson from Alabama, and I really didn't want one of those guys. They weren't, uh, in my opinion, um, I, I, Ashawn. I wasn't really a big fan of, and obviously uh, uh, Reed was a decent player. He's more of an undersized guy. Played with pretty, pretty good effort, but. Uh, we needed a wideout, and after the first three or four wideouts in the first round, the rest of them it was really not a very good receiver class. Oh, yeah, you go back terrible. And look at it, we figured, we, yeah, we figured we had to take one at that point, or we weren't going to get one at all. So, uh, Doxon was the highest graded guy we had, and, and we took him. And the unfortunate thing about him was his injury history. We didn't really do a good enough job to see the amount of injuries that he had, and that carried over to his play here. He just got hurt a lot. It's had bad heels, bad ankles. I don't. He never really was fully 100% where he could really utilize his leaping ability. Um, he wasn't going to separate with speed, but he did have an unbelievable ability to track the ball and jump, and we just never got the opportunity to see that because of his uh, injuries. Corey Coleman, Will Fuller, Josh Doxson, Laquan Treadwell were all picked in the yeah. first round. The best yeah, receivers was, out of that draft good. were Michael Thomas and Tyler and, and Boyd. Um, who, yeah, we missed on Michael Thomas. There's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah. Michael Thomas, Ohio State, I, he just looked like he he couldn't run very good. and This is weird. Um, nobody could really see what he could do in a slot and what he could do in different formations. Um, the way the Saints used him was, was, was perfect. They line him up in the two-spot a lot, outside, inside. Um, got him some access, and he's a big, strong, physical kid. And um, we just didn't weren't able to do that with Josh because of his injuries. Uh, hindsight is fifty-fifty, as Steve Spurrier once said. Um, but was there any conversation at all about Derrick Henry in that draft? You guys didn't uh, have you, you, you didn't was, have a back. Yes, yes, I can remember we had him projected the second or third round, and I, I can remember once once the. Uh, once we lost on the center, uh, Kelly, I can remember saying, what about this big kid from Alabama? No, I mean, we're not going to take him this high. Um, so, yeah, uh, he was a phenomenal um, specimen, obviously. He's proven that, but uh, we ended up going with the receiver instead. All right, let's take a break uh, with Jay Gruden, uh, and when we come back, I will ask him to Give us his thoughts on the end of the Dan Snyder era. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. 
Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Um, last one for you. I appreciate the time, as always. Uh, we're less than two weeks away from a dream come true for people like me who have been lifelong fans of the team, and that is that this you know era of Dan Snyder owning the team is going to end. What are the thoughts that go through your mind? I mean, you didn't grow up rooting for this team, but you coached it for several years. Um, you know, are, are you happy for the, the fan base that this is finally coming to an end? What would you say to, you know, in terms of your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think, I think you have to be happy without a doubt. I think, um, I think moving forward, um, with a new owner will be very beneficial for this organization. Um, I think, I just think Dan made it too much about himself as far as trying to put his stamp on the team as far as picking players and coaches and and some of that some of the things uh and he wasn't experienced enough in the business to make those decisions he didn't put the work in for him to pick a player in a draft is asinine because he didn't put the work in he didn't watch the players he didn't go to the meetings he didn't sit in the scout meetings you know mike brown with the cincinnati Bengals, i was there mike brown sat in every meeting and he watched the film he put the work in so when he made a decision it was based on what he saw, what he took in from the coaches and what the, he took in from the scouts. So I respected that. I don't respect the guy who comes in and doesn't watch the film and makes picks and tells you who to sign in free agency. It makes no sense. When we're doing all the film work and the scouts are doing all the work, and all of a sudden he comes in and makes a pick. So I think it's uh, very going to be a, a, a very beneficial move for all the fans and for the organization moving forward. I know that he's the owner, and that's the easy answer to this question, but how frustrating was it for you and Bruce and everybody else? Did anybody ever confront him over that? He's the owner. I mean, you know, I used to say when I was in the arena league, guys would complain about the ownership and meals. I said, if you want to, you know, if you want to be an owner, go buy a team, you know, so, but you have to respect the fact that he put himself in position to own a football team. And if you're the owner, 
and the boss, then you can do things the way you want to. That's just the way you have to accept, accept it. I mean, you have a boss. And I've had bosses before, and uh, when you're not the boss, uh, you have to do what the boss says. And, and I did that. I was trying to be a, a good coach and, and, a, and, a, and a, you know, a good employee. That's my job was to listen to the owner, but to put in my input. And if my input was used great, if not, then I had to deal with it and do the best I could with what I had. Jay Gruden, everybody. Uh, I always appreciate this, Jay. Thanks so much for doing it. Hope you're well. You got it. Thanks. All right. That is it for the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.